0: Hello, this is Comeback, this is Connor, and this is episode 76. Today I'm chatting to Candice Colgan. Candice is initially from Australia, currently living in Manchester, and is doing work as a recovery coach. Candice, how are you?
1: I'm really well, thank you, Connor. Thank you for having me today.
0: Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Can you please, you know, take me back to early years then? What was life like growing up in Australia? Whereabouts in Australia did you grow up?
1: Sure, um, I'm happy to. Um, so I I was actually born in the Philippines but moved to Australia on my own. My parents actually sent me away from the Philippines um, when I was about 13 or 14 and I grew up in a city called Melbourne um, which is an absolutely beautiful city in Australia. Um, I guess moving across as a very young child and without any parental support I was really forced to um, find my own way, really, even though I had accommodation and food, which my parents um, very generously provided for me when I was in Australia, um, I was pretty much left to my own devices to figure life out my own way, um, to make friends. And it was a really, I suppose, eye-opening time because I was exposed to so many different cultures in Australia um, and, you know, had to find work and fend for myself. And eventually I studied law and became a lawyer in Australia. you want me to talk about a bit more about Melbourne I have just wonderful things to say about it it's just a really fantastic city it's beautiful it's very cultural people are warm and friendly and the weather is warm and friendly as well um I don't remember if you asked me to speak about Manchester or did I just
0: Uh, not yet I definitely will touch on Manchester and I will touch on Melbourne because it's it's quite a It's quite coincidental really i'm from manchester and i hope to move to melbourne post saigon so i definitely want to you know get a a taste of what to expect from melbourne and also see how manchester's doing however before um before we really dissect both of those cities can i talk a bit more how if you if i may ask you how come you move from uh the philippines to australia without supervision at yeah
1: so yeah so that was really my parents decision more than anything um you know I guess <laughs> just to be fully candid I was I was probably the rebel of the family and I was going out with a guy that they didn't like and I think they just really wanted me to have a better future and a better education um and so they just they sent me to Australia it wasn't really a choice of mine to do that um and so that was a bit of a I suppose a shock for me, but at the same time, it was also an adventure at the same time. I realized that I was going to be out on my own for a little while and for a young child that can be quite exciting. Um, and I guess the the other thing that kind of softened the blow for me uh, moving to Australia on my own was that I, before this, uh, my parents had sent me away um, to other countries as well when it's a bit younger. So I had spent six weeks in a school in Xiamen in China um, with some friends and I also stayed with a family in Lowestoft here in England for a couple of months um, just to see, see the country, get into a school, that sort of thing. So this wasn't the first time that I kind of was moved away from the Philippines on my own. Um, but of course with Australia, the difference was it wasn't just six weeks or three months, it was a you know, this is you for the next few years, you're in Australia. Um, So yeah, so that's how I ended up in Australia.
0: I see. And then when you, I mean, I'm trying to think how this works. So you're 13, you get told, yeah, you're moving to Australia. And then when you arrive, how do you fend for yourself in terms of how do you find where you're going to live? How do you find Mm -hmm. school? Um, If there's any cases where you need, I don't know, guardianship or parental um, permission, how does that all work? when you moved from the Philippines to Australia
1: yeah so um, I guess I don't really know the sort of stuff that maybe my parents had to deal with in their decision to send me over um but I can't speak into what what they did for me so they were very generous in that they secured a the place for me to live and it was in a um Maybe student accommodation is the best way to describe it. You know, you get your own flat um, there's a cafeteria or a canteen at the, um, the bottom of the building where you can have your breakfast and your dinners. Um, there was, you know, laundry facilities and Wi-Fi and all that sort of stuff. So I pretty much had a place to sleep in and I knew that I had two meals coming in for me every day, at least. Um, and then they also secured the school for me. Um, I went to a place called Trinity College before moving on to Melbourne University, and it was like a short walk from where I lived, or I could catch the tram down. So I didn't really have to deal with any of the uh, the boring logistics. And I guess as a young child, like, of course, my parents still provided for me practically. They gave me an allowance um, until I was old enough to work. And in fact, my first job was a waitress, was as a waitress in a chocolate shop, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, and yeah, and I think from there, I just you know, started looking for other types of jobs to, um, to keep me going. So yeah.
0: Okay, sure. And then as a whole, let's talk a bit about Melbourne then, maybe partially selfishly, because I hope that's my next adventure. <laughs> what's Melbourne? I, I did
1: recommend Melbourne so anyway sorry you're
0: saying yeah so what's it like Melbourne um as a whole I know that's quite a broad question but um what should somebody mm-hmm. expect if they were to a visit there or be live there
1: yeah so um I would say that Melbourne is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It was voted the most livable city um, in the world for several years and was only recently defeated by Vienna, Austria uh, over the last couple of years. Um, It's a really, it's just a very aesthetically pleasing city. Um, It's got a, even the city has an order to it. It's got like a nine by nine grid. So you would never ever get too lost or confused because there's just a very clear layout of the city. And it's just very green and multicultural and theatrical. There's loads of like different types of cultures that live in there. So there's a street that's dedicated to um, Greek food. So it's called the Greek precinct. There's a little Italy there because there's loads of Italian, wonderfully Italian families living there as well. There are Lebanese people. And then Asian food there is incredible as well. Like so many kinds types of street dumplings. and lots of really nice graffiti covered alleyways as well. So even though it is quite a, an elegant place, there's also like a um, an edginess to it. You know, you'll see lots of maybe goths walking around. There's a, a section called Brunswick Street, which is a bit more hipster and vegan and a bit more grungy. Um, and then there's also some other fashionable streets like Um, Chapel Street and Turak Road and yeah it's just it's just a really nice sprawling kind of place and of course there's a huge amount of sport as well like the Australian Open is held there the Grand Prix is there as well Um, and Australian football is is a massive thing as well so it's just a really vibrant place to be in and unless things have changed because I have been away for five years um, public transport within the city centre itself is free so you could just hop onto a tram and go anywhere within the city and you won't have to pay for it but you know I have been away five years so I don't know if that's that's changed so please don't quote
0: me on that (laughs) no problem I hope that's I hope that's the case when I arrive there Um, we'll, (laughs) we'll see how that all transpires so then you came from Melbourne to Manchester is that correct that's correct yes how did that all come about
1: Yeah, so it pretty much came about because um, I got married and had my son and then my husband just had an opportunity in Manchester that opened up. Um, My husband is Northern Irish and as you know, I'm from the Philippines. So even though we were both in Australia and we had um, a son, we were both orphans at the time. We didn't have any family around apart from friends. And I think there was just a pull on his part to be a bit closer to family. So we moved to Manchester because it, there was just a job opportunity that opened up. And also because it was what it's only like half 30 minutes flight away from Belfast in Northern Ireland. So it was just really close and just felt like it was the right time, the right time to make the move. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that transition was easy for me. Um, yeah, it, it's just always hard when you're uprooted from what you know and you move onto a new place. There's always a period of transition and <laughs> Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's a little bit more challenging. And I think this time for me, it was a little bit more challenging because I loved Melbourne so much that moving to a different city was, was
0: a lot harder. Yeah, I see. And then I've always thought I'm lucky to be from Manchester because it's quite homely, warm, friendly. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always thinking what if I was to move there, obviously, if I wasn't from there. How do you find it now? Do you think you've adapted well to life in Manchester? How has it been for you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So um, Manchester was a bit of a shock to the system when I first moved here, simply because I just had no idea what Manchester would be like. Um, I I think I had expressed to some friends in the past that I always, I thought the whole of England looked like London or Oxford or Cambridge. Manchester has a, a much different feel. Um, it is friendly and it is it is wonderful and thankfully um, the food cultures get growing really big as well as well as the beer drinking culture, um, which I find really fascinating because I you know I was told you never ever drink beer because you're a woman. I know that's a very old-fashioned and sexist thing to say, but I was very young when someone said that to me, and it destroyed my love for beer. But I imagine that if I grew up in Manchester, I would definitely be into beer because there's just so much. Um, Nice craft beers around here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but back yeah, but back to your question, the um the transition was harder because Manchester looks completely different from Melbourne. Um it's I guess it's a lot colder on the one hand. Um I would say that Melbourne is very, very manicured, it's very aesthetically pleasing. Um, even the way the parks are done, you would see that there's been a lot of that someone's been overlooking everything, whereas Manchester is a bit freer. Um, people are a bit more laissez-faire, laissez-faire, you know, like anything goes. So just those sorts of transitions was, I suppose was a bit hard, but also because I loved Melbourne so much and I was yearning for home, Melbourne became home for me. Um, it was just harder to leave home for something that I didn't expect, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, of course. Okay so these are the places that you've so far lived. We've covered the Philippines, Melbourne, Manchester. Let's Mm. now dive into the theme of the podcast, Come Back, Come Back from Adversity. So Mm. do you mind expanding a bit more upon setbacks that you've faced in your life that you've had to bounce back from?
1: Yeah completely Um and so I, you know, growing up in the Philippines, it was never, I mean, I, I'm grateful for the, my parents who have done so much to protect, or so much to protect me and my sisters, but growing up in the Philippines where a lot of people live below the poverty line, it was a little bit ominous at times. So I was exposed to a lot of crime growing up. Um, You know, I grew up to stories of, of friends being kidnapped, um, held for ransom, some were tortured. Um, I would see People also have bodyguards body around them all the time just to make sure that no one was following them. I learned very from a very young age to be very vigilant and to be very wary of strangers. Um, and so moving to Australia as a young child, I suppose one of the positives for that for me is that I would be further away from this environment of, of so much crime. Um, even though I had a good life, it you were, you know, we had to be aware of... Um, I guess the the menacing kind of environment we sometimes found ourselves in. Um, so moving to Australia, I thought, you know, I, I finally would finally escape this. But ironically, I actually got hit directly with crime when I was in Australia. Um, I was about 19 and was mugged and beaten up outside a very lovely building near Parliament House in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, and it was it was just a, a random crime. I think, you know, three people were probably high on drugs. I'm not really sure. They're probably just looking for money um, and just saw me on my own and just pounced on me and tried to take my money and everything that I had on my back away from me. Um, and when I tried to fight back then, you know, they they beat me up as well. So that was a, a very interesting time. Um so perhaps that's one of the the biggest setbacks that I experienced uh, in Australia. And in terms of how I, I don't know if you've asked me how I came back from that now. I've just got confused there, Connor. I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah, no, no problem. Um, usually I kind of talk about um, the main setbacks and then the next question leads to how you came back. Right. But I am interested, yeah, how did you come back then from that particular setback where you were mugged and beaten up, as you said?
1: Yeah, so... Um, I think, you know, when when all that happened, I was a bit younger and because I've learned to grow up in maybe slightly dangerous places, I knew that I I couldn't stop, I couldn't wallow in sanity and I couldn't live in fear. Um, Although it was really hard because I remember being very nervous every time I'd go outside or even when I'd be standing in front of an ATM to pull money out, whenever someone would stand behind me, it would trigger a lot of trauma responses within me. simply because the the guys who mugged me and beat me up just jumped me from from behind and held a, a knife to my throat really. So that was the first um, interaction that I had with them. And so that really stayed with me for a very long time. Um, but in order to, to move away from that, I just had to not almost learn to face the fear, but just I just had to keep going and had to keep going out. You know, I took up a job at the time, I kept turning up to the job. Um, completed law school I was involved with the Innocence Project um, where we examine crime scenes and look at exonerating wrongfully convicted criminals and I just tried to really pour my life out onto something that was outside of me rather than to wallow in self-pity and to relive the moment over and over again in my head um, because I felt that being stuck in fear just wasn't helping me at all and was probably worse for my mental health rather than choosing to just go out and, and live life as best as I could mm, I
0: see. Um, yeah mm. and um okay so that was um would you say is that that's been the main challenge or are there any other setbacks that are particularly relevant to you
1: yeah so um I would say that the biggest setback that I had was ironically um my transition from Melbourne to Manchester um I find it so ironic because I feel like when I when I look back at my history, I've gone through some really, really big things, um, you know, apart from crime, I've been involved in motor accidents and natural disasters and have, you know, was stuck in an elevator that nearly crashed to the floor from the seventh floor. Um, I just have this, yeah, I've just been in so many near death experiences that I find it so ironic that my transition to Manchester was the hardest setback for me. Um, I think moving here, I you know just felt a lot of rejection, experienced a lot of racism as well, um, and was just in the place where I I felt so unwanted and just so disempowered. I felt like my voice wasn't being heard. You know, I started working at, at a government department, and I realized that my point of view was not necessarily um, other people's point of views, which is absolutely fine. I am in a completely different culture, but being, you know, having left behind a city and a home that I love so much into a new city that was that I felt was quite hostile to me and then to be silenced in that work um, was very difficult, extremely difficult. Um, and I was just actually thinking about it early today and I was wondering why was this the hardest for me? And I did a little, so part of my trauma recovery coaching did a little bit of studies around the brain and there's actually support to show that, Um, pain factors in your brain which fire whenever you're physically injured they actually fire as well whenever you're being rejected or excluded Um, and therefore the hurt that we all feel whenever we're told we're not good enough or whenever we are yeah simply rejected it's, it's a very very real thing our brain feels it and therefore our body our bodies respond the same way
0: okay I see and you are currently working as a recovery coach is that correct that's correct yes a trauma trauma recovery coach trauma recovery coach okay um do you mind uh expanding a bit upon that then upon the work that you do
1: yeah completely um so i i generally work with people who have been traumatized by either you know natural disasters crime sometimes through childhood abuse um i've got a client as well who have been who was trafficked and tortured for 20 years um and I also work with families of offenders and offenders themselves and I you know trauma has a really profound impact on on us not only physiologically but also in the way that we see ourselves in the world and sometimes because of trauma we keep ourselves imprisoned in um I guess our views of ourselves perceptions of the world and our views of reality and you know sometimes these could this could be true, and sometimes also they could just be very unhealthy because we end up imprisoning ourselves, really, and disallowing our ourselves to really, I suppose explore what could possibly be out there instead. Um, so the work that I do with a lot of my clients is to, really regulate the relationship that they have, not only with themselves, but also with their past. Um, Some of my clients are very stuck in what's happened to them. Like, for example, if I speak about the crime that I experienced, um, some of them could just relive that moment over and over and over again in their heads, and it would just keep them in a constant place of fear. And over time, they'd be unable to leave the front door, because they're just so convinced that something bad will happen to them. Um, And other people also in the same way, when when their parents reject them, or or whatever it is, it's an abusive relationship that didn't work out. They can really blame themselves as well for that, and can really believe that there's something inherently wrong with them that has allowed them to um, to experience something so traumatic and so heartbreaking. And I just really work with them as well to help them understand that they are not defined by whatever it is that has happened to them in the past, um, and that they can that they they are worthy. They have something to say, and they are worth to be. They're worth. Um, us listening to them, that they can be seen, they can be heard, and that they are they are valuable. Um, and once that usually happens with the client, things slowly change for for this particular client. They start approaching life differently. They start seeing, um, yeah, they start seeing things a little bit differently, which you know makes a, a huge impact to how they experience the world and themselves and their ability to explore new relationships and new friendships etc so that's the type of work that I do with them
0: okay and throughout the work that you've taken part in do you think there are any main techniques or main things that you would focus on in helping a client overcome some trauma um yes
1: absolutely so um i I would say that um, most trauma survivors have a lot of common symptoms after the traumatic event. Um, One of them is that they learn to become really powerless. So maybe if I define what trauma is in the first instance, trauma is usually an event that has a direct threat to a person's life or well-being. Um, and that person even though they are they know they don't want this event to happen they are deeply frightened of the event they are completely powerless to change what's about to happen to them. Um, and as a result of going through that event their perception of themselves and other people in the world just substantially changes um, and so because they've been through something so big and so frightening which they, were unable to change or whatever it is, they become really helpless and powerless. They learn that they, they're they not invincible, that in fact, they're very, very vulnerable and they become really stuck in fear and shame. And then they also learn to mistrust other people and the world as well. Suddenly the world is this extremely dangerous place And so whenever something good is happening, they just really, they don't believe that that good thing will be forever. They just know that anything could happen and could disrupt everything. Um, And there are a few other things such as toxic pervasive shame, or they start people pleasing because they realize that if they please other people, then these people are less likely to harm them. And so it's about really working with them in, in these really big pieces to help them understand that they are actually okay as to who they who they are. And even though they've experienced something really big and frightening, it doesn't mean that they're powerless and um, it doesn't mean that they can't do anything now. Um, and it also means that just because something really big and frightening has happened to them doesn't mean that they have to stop trusting other people or the world or how they feel. Um, because not everything is dangerous, right? I mean, of course we have to be discerning and we have to have an awareness of what's safe and what's not, but not everything is dangerous. And it's just about striking that balance with them.
0: Okay, I see. And then in terms of your own um, experiences then, Candice, whether this be um, your setbacks, for example, Melbourne to Manchester, um, the attack when you were 19, maybe moving country, what um, main techniques have you used and do you use nowadays to keep yourself on track?
1: Yeah, completely. Um, So especially perhaps especially with my move to Manchester, I really needed to, I realised over the years that I really had to regulate my relationship with myself um, because I was feeling so much rejection from the outside world that it was important for me to understand who I am and to almost give myself the love that I, I really needed and really yearned for. Um, and so one of the things that I did at the time was um, I, oh, well, first of all, I am a Christian. So of course I turned to my spirituality and my faith a lot and prayed and really connected with a higher spiritual being because I felt that I, um, I felt that having a focus that's not simply within my own physical self was really, really helpful. And knowing that there's something bigger outside of me and beyond me was actually really helpful and kept me going. Um, And the other thing, major thing that I did was to open myself up to positive messages. Um, Even small things like saying thank you when someone compliments, compliments me. That was a really hard thing for me to do. If someone says something nice about me, I usually just go oh you know I just try to minimize it really but mm, yeah. these days I just try... yeah so you, you try to minimize it worse now I just go thank you and I just leave it that you know I allow myself to celebrate my successes rather than thinking looking back at something and think oh I could have done better in this I focus on my successes instead um, and I also just open myself up to a lot of positive messages. Um, and maybe as an example of how I really shifted my focus, um, perhaps you know, in in the early years in Manchester when I experienced a lot of racism, I remember coming back home and just going through the racist event over and over again in my head. Um, and then one day, one night, it just hit me that actually, why why am I focusing on the people who are nasty to me? Why couldn't I focus on the people, the strangers who are actually really nice to me? Um, and I would recall, you know, um, maybe a, a gentleman it, offering to open the door for me because I was struggling with groceries and he would smile at me as well, or a, um, a woman who would smile at me while I was walking in the park rather than turn her eyes away from me. I realized that there were so many positive moments in my life that I could choose to focus on rather than on the people that kept me down and drained. And learning to make that shift uh, changed a lot of things for me. And I just started applying that shift in focus to more things in my life, such as parenting, working, my clients, how I saw myself, everything.
0: And if there was anybody out there who maybe has gone through a trauma but hasn't received, say, professional help on that matter, what sort of things Mm -hmm. would you say to them or the people around them who are maybe in their support network in getting them to make that step and get some help to ease the pain that they're going through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are a lot of um, trauma tra- trauma-informed trauma treatments out there, including coaches such as myself. Um, we definitely provide a very, very safe place for trauma survivors to come in, to know that their narratives would never be negated and that they would never be disvalued in everything and that we would see them as a whole an entire person rather than as someone struggling with something. Um, so in terms of the friends around trauma survivors, I would just encourage every one of us and yeah, every one of us to just do our best to be a really, really safe place, um, f- safe place for people to come and talk to us to, for them to know that whatever it is that they say, they would never be judged or condemned. Um, And that the person who's coming to us with with whatever problem that they have won't be minimized or invalidated, but instead would be heard, seen, and that their perception can also be taken into account, because it's so important for us to to take a person as a whole, really, you know, a lot of us try to shut down problems by a logical explanation, but logic doesn't solve absolutely everything. You know, something could be completely rational in our heads, but then our stomach could be in knots, our hearts could be beating furiously, um, and it's not right to simply disregard those extra symptoms because if you're having a physical reaction to something, then something is not quite right. And so, for us to assume that a rational explanation. Would, would sort everything out is completely one-sided and it also invalidates and minimizes the pain that the, the person is going through. Um, so that would perhaps be, uh, be the best advice um, that I could give to friends and supporters of trauma survivors. And it is just to really give them the space to be seen and heard and felt um, and to never never negate what they're going through.
0: That's great advice. I really think that's valuable and a lot of the people listening will certainly take that away. So thank you very much for sharing that insight. Um, coming up no to the final stages of the conversation here, Candice, uh, the final mm-hmm. question I usually ask is is quite a broad one, but I still pose it anyway. Uh, what's next for you? Mm-hmm. What are the aims for the near future, is there anything in particular that you would like to achieve personally or professionally, what's next? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've had uh, some people ask me this as well, what is your vision for this? And I've always just said, I just want more people to know what it's like to go through trauma and to know how to support people in trauma, but also to empower trauma survivors to know not only that they're not alone, but that they are powerful and they can um, implement a lot of change in this world. Um, I would say that that's probably my perhaps my biggest goal at this point in time. Whether or not it, whether or not I can bring it down to something a little bit more tangible. Um, I'm not sure at this stage, because I think if there's anything that I've learned growing up from the Philippines and moving to Australia and Manchester is that life is incredibly unpredictable. And so sometimes putting in in all of your hopes and dreams into one particular outcome is not always healthy. And in fact, actually having the flexibility to move with life or what the world needs of you is probably a healthier way. It keeps you happier. It allows you to progress. It doesn't put any of the pressure that sometimes we may feel when we're just so determined to achieve one set hard goal. Um, And so that's that's where I'm at at the moment. You know, I've got enough clients to keep me busy um, and I have been seeing so much growth in my clients that have really, really encouraged me um and whether or not that leads to something else something bigger beyond me I'm not sure yet but of course I am I am completely open to it and I will take steps in that direction if the opportunity arises but at this point in time I just really want to be focused on the present focused on my clients myself and my family um and to just deliver as best service as I can and to just see where it goes from there
0: Mm, that's excellent is there anywhere we can find out more about what you do via social media
1: yeah absolutely so I am on Instagram um, my handle is hurt recovery coach um, you can also find me on my website which is www.hurtrecoverycoach.com I'm always open to hear from people I actually love hearing from people so um, drop me a message if you want to find out any more if you just simply want to have a chat I'm always open to do that
0: Awesome. Well, Candice, thanks very much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. I wish you all the best for the future and I hope Manchester and you are doing well now.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Connor. Wish you all the best too.
0: Thank you. Take care.
1: You too.